everybody. Welcome to episode number three of the About Health and Hormones podcast with Naomi Eastman. I am so excited to bring you today's episode because if you're familiar with me, you know that I talk about blood sugar balance all the time, and I mostly share tips on how we can eat in a blood sugar-friendly way. But a huge, crucial piece of balancing your blood sugar is building muscle. And exercises that build muscle are the other half of the equation that I don't talk about enough. And in today's episode, we're really going to dive deep on this. I'm going to be speaking to Naomi Eastman of Naomi Eastman Fitness, who is an expert on how women can build muscle for metabolic and hormonal health. Naomi Eastman has been a personal trainer and a nutrition coach for seven years. She teaches people that health is not easy, but it is simple and it is worth it. She focuses on principles that have kept humans in good health from the beginning of time. By studying ancestral wisdom and modern science, she believes we can change the health crisis we face today. Listen in to today's episode to hear Naomi share what kinds of movements are best for metabolic health and building muscle, how much and how often you need to be exercising to really see results, the myth that strength training is just for men and why strength training won't make you too bulky, how ancestral principles can be applied to modern life to enhance our health, why more and harder workouts are not always better, the importance of protein for building muscle and how to consume high quality protein. I've been following Naomi on Instagram for a while, and I just love the way that she shares information. I know you're going to love it too. So let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hi, Naomi. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you're someone who presents information in a really concise way and is also not afraid to say it how it is, but doesn't make it overwhelming or scary. And I think you're such a good resource for all things related to nutrition, but also fitness, which is so important. A lot of my listeners know that I talk a lot about blood sugar balance and I talk a lot about how food relates to blood sugar balance, but one thing I don't talk about enough is how much fitness and exercise and muscle relates to it. And I think that you are just going to be able to offer us so much information on that. So I'm really excited to dive into that with you. Yeah. I mean, I do say, I think with the food thing, especially in the health space today, I think it's become very, I could say at some points, like depending who's talking about it, obviously, but obsessive, like the carb aspect, the blood sugar aspect. And it is super important for so many people. And I'm like, we have to realize we're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies when we're only thinking about food. And we're not thinking about how our metabolic efforts that our muscles and our body makes, regardless of what food we're eating, muscle and movement is such a huge piece of that. It's so true. I'm so I'm so glad you put it that way, but I feel like we're also jumping ahead. I want to back up for a second and before you got super into this or maybe it was always something that was interesting to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, it's been quite the journey. I'll talk about what's probably relevant. I would say um in high school, I did have like a little episode of maybe like a year or so where I was kind of like a quote unquote gym rat. Like I would go to the gym and just be like crushing the machines. Like, again, I did not really know what I was doing. And I think back then I definitely approached it from a place of hating my body not loving my body. I was not working with my body. I was kind of working against it, you know, just like beating it down more to try to get it to like look a certain way, feel a certain way, whatever it was. Um, and then I took a year abroad away from my family. You know, you're you're eating, you're making your own food for the first time, like you're kind of in charge of your own life for the first time. And that's where I kind of developed a very bad relationship with food and movement and my body. Like I definitely struggled with 
body image issues and an eating disorder at the time. And then I was going to draft into the army, like the IDF in Israel. So I was like, this is not going to work. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this up there. I definitely need to be supporting my body more, especially just the people I was seeing around me who were already in the army. It was like much more about strength focus. Like you needed to meet the demands that they wanted to place on you. So I didn't really, I felt like I was going to lose that option to kind of beat my body down, so to speak. Um, and I actually drafted into the army as a Madasniki, like they call it, a sports instructor. So I was going to be teaching people about like health and movement. Oh, wow. Um, were you were you a personal trainer at this point? No. Okay. Not. Like in the army, you just get in and, and they're kind of like looking for things that A, interest you and where they think would be suitable for you to be. Okay. Um, and I should say living pre-army, I was starting to, as I said, seeing this wasn't going to work in the army and therefore I should probably start getting myself into shape. So I did start like eating more at that point. I saw that that was helping me be able to move more and I was starting to implement more movement, though I didn't really understand all the aspects of what was going in there. I didn't really know like the anatomy, physiology, any of that stuff. I was just kind of trying different things on myself. Then I, I drafted into the army. I learned a bunch of stuff. But again, like all these systems, they're a little bit outdated, some of the information. But I was really cool because it was the first time I was really learning about what goes on in your body, when you move, why we want to move, all these things that I never really thought about before. So that was definitely my first like dipping my toe into the actual training pool, so to speak. Then I got out of the army after all that. And I thought like, this is something I really enjoyed. I love training people. I loved helping them get stronger. The army has a very specific way in which they want you to do that. So it wasn't really like, I wasn't as much building these programs as much as I would want to, but there was a gym on my base. And I, I really personally started getting into more of like the weightlifting stuff and sort of training myself. Once out of the army, I did just like do a nine to five job for a little bit, but um, I really knew that this was a passion of mine. So I took the route of like getting certified in personal trainer and as a personal trainer and as a nutrition coach. Um, then I got pregnant with my first daughter and was like, I'm just not going to go back to my nine to five and I'll just start doing this. Um, and, you know, I think everybody has a journey of their own. I definitely started in more of the ancestral paleo kind of space. That was my first real introduction to like nourishing food, whole food diet. Um, but it was very, you know, even paleo, you'll find yourself Googling, like, am I allowed to eat this? And I was like, this doesn't really seem sustainable. Like, why am I asking Google questions about myself? Like, I truly did gain this, like, you know, you feel like you want to be able to have the answers for your own body. Um, and I was kind of also understanding at the time that a lot of big research studies and Google answers you're going to get are, are probably not accurate necessarily, right? Like the nutrition um, space, as well as the fitness movement space is really loaded with a lot of misinformation and like studies on one group of people that doesn't necessarily apply to another group of people. So it's very hard to weed out the misinformation there. Um, and that's why when I started really learning about like our hormones, our body, how we're real time reacting to these things and what it's doing on a cellular level, right? So that I can understand why behind. I think a lot of people are just like, I need to move because that's what somebody said. And I know I'll feel better and X, Y, and Z. But how you move is really important because this is your body doesn't know what you want out of it. The demands you place on your body is what's going to create the results, right? So if you want to get toned, quote unquote, or lose five pounds, your body doesn't understand that you want to lose five pounds. It might think you're in a famine. Like you have to be very mindful about how you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Wow. It's such a crazy journey to go from where you were, where you were saying, I was really using movement as a way to punish my body to where you are now, where I feel like it's really about strength. It's really about setting your body up for success. And 
Let's get into it a little bit when we talk about why specific kinds of movements can be really helpful for metabolic health. And for anyone who doesn't even know what that means, when we talk about metabolic health, I know a lot of people will throw around things with metabolism. Do I have a fast metabolism or slow metabolism? I think it's all related to their weight, but it's obviously much more, it's much deeper than that. So let's talk first a little bit about what is metabolic health and then how can fitness or certain types of fitness play a role in that? Right. So your metabolism is is kind of run by your thyroid, right? Like your thyroid hormone is your metabolic hormone. And that's every process of your body, right? It's not just like, oh, I have a fast metabolism because I poop twice a day, right? You need to understand like every cell should be working efficiently. Uh, So you can, that's why you can see metabolic issues across the board, right? It could be anything from like a brain issue to a heart issue anywhere in the body. Um, because every cell needs to be functioning properly. So why a huge part of the movement piece of this is how much stress are you putting on your body? Do you have enough nourishment and the capacity for that amount of movement? Or is it kind of tanking your thyroid and therefore tanking a lot of other hormones? Because our hormones kind of have to all play this beautiful dance together, right? It should sound like a symphony, everything working together in balance. And when we start throwing one of these out of balance, we really see a big downstream effect and it kind of affects every system in the body. So this is actually asking where I started. This is a little bit from where I started, right? When I was punishing my body, it was kind of like, I don't care, keep up with this demand, even if it's way too stressful. And every single person is going to have a different capacity for stress. Um, And one thing that might be good for you today might not be good for you years down the line or might not be good for the next person because we're all dealing with a different set of circumstances, right? Like I could have really stressful life events. You could have a really stressful diet. We have to work individually with what we can tolerate ourselves. Yeah, because I think for I think also a lot of people are getting the advice that's pretty general, eat less, move more. And that's first of all, it's not such a great strategy for people like me who get hungry and need more food than whatever that is prescribing. Um and it it's also not actually helping a lot of people meet their goals. And I know a lot of people who are listening to this it's not necessarily about weight loss. Sometimes it is, or that's a piece of it, but there's a lot of other hormone issues that so many women are dealing with, whether it's estrogen dominance or PCOS or all these things that can also be related to metabolic health. Um, you know, issues with your liver having so much sugar to store and turn into fat that it's not properly working to balance your hormones. And so again, like one thing that's always going to help is balancing your blood sugar through diet. I don't want to pretend diet's not a piece of that, but there are definitely ways that you can be moving your body or using strength to help that process happen more efficiently. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And and if you want to get as specific as possible, like what kinds of movements are good for metabolic health and for blood sugar balance? Are they all equal? Because I get a lot of questions about this. Like, well, what about walking? What about Pilates? What about yoga? Does it have to be heavy weight? So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I love what you said, because for me, one of the non-negotiables that's coming out of movement is building muscle. I think muscle is one of the most protective tissues we have in our body. Um, It's like an organ in and of itself, right? It's an endocrine organ. It's communicating with many systems of your body. Um, And it also just what I see across the board for people I work with is we need to be strong in our everyday lives. So A, I want like your life to be easier. And I think we all want that at the end of the day to just be able to do our daily tasks in a way that makes us feel good. Um, And definitely later in life, I've worked with later in life clients, like you see getting up and down off the toilet, like things that you don't necessarily think of when you're young. It's incredibly important to have muscles. Like you don't need to be running five kilometers when you're 90 years old, but you sure as heck need to have the muscle capacity to do a squat, do a hinge, right? Pick up things off the floor. Like these are things we need to be doing for the rest of our life. So that I'll say, first of all, is why I'm such a fan of muscle. But as you were saying, muscle and liver are really the only places, right? That your body is going to store sugar. So if we're building muscle, that means we're building the capacity to 
soak up that sugar so that it's not just hanging out in the blood all the time, right? So that's going to be the piece of blood sugar. So I think of it as like parking garages, right? Like when your liver's parking lot is full, it's going to your muscle. If you have no muscle or minimal muscle, right? You're you're not really giving yourself much space to hold that sugar there, the glucose. So then it's going into the blood, or as you said, it's being stored as fat. And this is where people start to see real metabolic issues and very high levels of blood sugar, because you're not really ever using that sugar properly. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I love what you said about thinking about it later on in age, because this is something I actually think about a lot. It's very motivating for me because I have very different examples of grandparents who are in, I would say, opposite spectrums of health. I think about certain grandparents on my side of the family who need an aid to do literally everything from getting up out of the chair to going to the bathroom. They don't have any real diagnosed disease other than diabetes, but it's not like they have a problem with the hips or the knees, but they are not, they just haven't taken care of their bodies or done any strength training throughout their lives. And then I think of my husband's grandfather who played racquetball every day and went to the gym regularly. And he's, I think he's in his late eighties and he will come and pick up my kids and take them to the park. And these are his great grandkids. And you just see the quality of life in those later years. It's night and day and lives independently and cooks and does, you know, all of these different things that it really is about that. I think also I'm a mom, I have two little kids and I think all the time about how much I need strength to do basic mom things. I keep joking that now as my son is gaining weight and getting bigger, like he's now weighing more than the weights that I have at home. So I'm like, I need to order more free weights because how am I going to keep up with the strength of carrying that baby all the time when that's not even what I'm lifting. So I love the way that you phrase that, that it's about so much more than the way we look. It really is about health. And it's it's really a long-term strategy for long-term health, which I think a lot of people, you know, we're both young. We're not in that, you know, 60 plus. We're not, I don't know if you're in your 30s. Here I am. Yeah. But I think even people in their 30s, they're not necessarily thinking what's going to happen to me in 30, 40, 50 years. And it is helpful to start building that muscle now because from my understanding, it's a lot harder to put it on as you age. Is that right? Yes, um, because things like our hormones that support muscle growth, like right for women, estrogen, um, even testosterone, these things are going to start to decline as we age. And this is why we really want to put in place the anabolic effects, which is like the growing and building part of your metabolism. You really want to be doing movements now that tell your body to build up, not just break down, right? Like, again, it's very much going to depend on the the person. But this is why I say, no, don't start your journey by just putting on shoes and going out for a run, because the effects post a long aerobic workout, like a long run, let's say, are more catabolic, that's more going to break things down, as opposed to what the stress that we're placing on our bodies when we do things like strength training, picking up heavy weights, taking rests, picking them up again. It's not just putting your body into that fight or flight reaction. It's actually telling the body, no, we're going to be picking up this heavy thing. So you need to grow and build so that we can do this better tomorrow and the next day. Yeah. And I want to ask you, because I want you to tell it to us straight. I know I'm someone I like to lean more towards the yoga Pilates, and even I'll do a power yoga, you know, more intense Pilates. I'm feeling some kind of burn, but then sometimes I'll read that's you know, that's not really going to build muscle. It needs to be something with weights or there, maybe there are specific body weight only movements that can build muscle. So can you tell us really specifically, like what are either, what are the most efficient ways to build muscle and also about how often does it have to be? Cause I know when I talk to people, I say, just get started. And maybe that is good to get started with 10 minutes once or twice a week, but to really be building muscle, let's say for optimal health, what, what do you recommend to people in terms of what kinds of specific exercise and how much and the duration of those workouts? Okay. So I, I yoga, all those things that you mentioned, great. I think more in the mobility area, it's going to, again, it's gonna gain muscle for someone perhaps in the beginning, but your body's very going quickly going to adapt to that. So it's like, I really do start people doing body weight squats, right? 
or let's say a plank you would do in yoga, like that's great. And it's going to start building up that muscle, but it's really not going to last long term. You need to be constantly stressing the muscle more. So why weights is so important to that is if I could squat today with five kilo, then perhaps in a week I could squat with 10 and you keep building, right? If you're doing the same exact thing on your body, you're going to get to a point where again, you're not sending that signal to the body. I need to be doing something heavier. So it's going to stop having that anabolic effect of building, as I was saying before. So really specific, what I, I think everybody needs to include in their life is a squat, a hinge, a push, a pull, and a carry. Okay, that's like how I build my workouts. Those are the major movement patterns that every human should be great at. Um, especially as you were saying, like mom life, right? I constantly see women like carrying car seats and they're like shifting. I just like already see these compensations happening where I'm like, oh, you have shoulder pain, you have hip pain. Of course, like I want everybody to be pain free and be living their best lives. But if you're not strong enough to do your daily tasks, that's where we start to see injuries and pain start to enter the equation, right? Like we were yeah. saying about older people later in life, but it's really sad. I'm starting to see like 20, 30 year olds coming to me already with these like back pain, hip pain, neck pain, like our lifestyle is not supporting these movements very much, the movements I just said. So that's why in the gym is probably the safest and most effective place. You can start building that muscle so that you can translate that into all the other things you do in your life. So I would say, again, as you said, like, I really do people tell people to just start because 10 minutes a few times a week really is better than nothing. Um, but if you're on a program that's progressed, like there's progressive overload, as I was saying, the adding weights and making it harder for you every time you show up, you're going to be, even if it takes a little longer because you're not doing it as, as often or as long of a duration, that's fine. Like better to do that than nothing. For sure. And I think also when a lot of people get started and they get solid and doing those 10 minutes twice a week, you notice that you're feeling better. Maybe you start seeing results that you're feeling stronger and that can be really motivating. Then they can always say, all right, let me add in another day and take that 10 minutes to 15 minutes or to 20 minutes. And you can always build up from there, but it's, it's hard, I think for a beginner to start, you know, 45 minutes a day, four times a week when that's completely new to you. Um, I'm wondering, do women ever express fears to you about getting too bulky? Because I feel like strength training is very typically categorized as kind of the man's exercise. And I think these more feminine exercises or typically feminine, the yoga, the Pilates, the walking, things like that are what women tend to lean more towards, even though muscle is so, so important for women. So is that something people ever come to you with fears about? And how do you answer those questions if they do? Yes, I get that all the time. And what do I do? I slam it down. No, I'm kidding. Um, but truly, it's like I have such a bone to pick with like this whole, I think it just goes way higher than just strength training, right? Like I constantly women are just trying to be smaller. And I'm like, these, when I work with someone like these are so not the goals we focus on. I'm like, yes, try to bulk up. I would love to see you be bulky. Like, it is extremely hard. I think when people look at my body, I'm like, do I look extremely bulky to you? I, it's, it's just, first of all, I would like to say that everybody's body is going to react differently, right? So some people actually do build muscle way easier than other people, but it's a lot harder than you think. The people that you see that are actually ripped and jacked, like if you're looking at these like CrossFit women at the CrossFit open, things like that. First of all, I, a lot of them are taking hormones, right? Like there, right. there really is in the actual bodybuilding or physique space. These women's are, these women are not doing things that are natural. If you see somebody in like a physique goal competition, they're like dehydrated when they're up on stage, like your muscles are not naturally going to look like that. Right. That um, didn't come from doing squats with five kilo weights. That's not no. going to give you that sort of look. I okay. Will. I wish that that's the gains we can get from that, but no, it's going to take a lot. You're going to have to be on a diet plan of strict fitness regimen to be doing that. You're not, nobody I train is going to see those results. Generally, that's just not the population I train. Um, I think good for those people, if that is what you're doing, but 
I'm not really training people for physique goals. So my goal is to get you stronger. I don't know what your body is going to look like at the end of that. But I also think that is something we should strive for, not shy away from, because I really think the being afraid of the look of muscle thing is just way more of what we grew up with as like a quote unquote, like beautiful body image, right? Um, so I mean, I really hope for my daughter that my daughters are like the future generation that they're excited about building muscle and not like going to trainers saying, please don't make me look muscular, you know? Yeah, it's so true. It's sad to think that someone who might be starting a fitness program is afraid of gaining muscle, which generally, as long as you're doing it again in a natural, healthy way with a professional who can guide you to make sure you're not getting injured, there's only positive benefits that can come from that. It's true. It's kind of sad that that might be the fear of someone. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about how you use different sort of ancestral principles in your life, not just in terms of fitness, but I know from following you that you incorporate a lot of other really basic and easy tools to implement that unfortunately we're just not all doing, whether it's with regards to nature or the quality and types of foods that you're eating. So I know there's a lot of different ways that we can go here, but tell us a little bit more about how you kind of go back to those ancestral principles and bring them into your own daily life. Okay. Awesome. I think right. Humans existed on this planet. We know like homo sapiens, at least 300,000 years before that, like 3 million years you can trace. So the huge shift that happened was very recently, especially if we look, it's the blink of an eye in the term of evolution, right? So um, taking the ideas of how we got to where we are and implementing them has really helped me see like happier, healthier life for myself and others. Um, this starts with like, it just relating back to what we just talked about, right? It wasn't even possible for like, I was actually just thinking about this. It's funny when I was on the toilet, I was thinking like, we kind of coddled ourselves. Like, why are we sitting on a throne to go to the bathroom? Like, ancestrally speaking, we were squatting outside, right? And in many cultures today, they're still squatting. And you see in those cultures, there are nine-year-olds who can hold a static, low, deep squat for a good five minutes. Like, that is how they sit throughout their day. Some of them sit like that for hours a day. So you could just see the, the muscle, the mobility, what it took to be alive back then. Um, and we see ancestrally, these people were a lot healthier than us. Um and lived a much better quality of life. So even if right now we might see people living longer, we see chronic disease on the rise. We see a horrible quality of life, especially those last few decades. Um, so I'm striving for health, not just now, but throughout my entire lifespan. Um, I love that. I think a lot about that when I'm playing with my daughter, because I'll be sitting slumped over on the floor and she's in this squat, like a full on malasana squat that I will sometimes try to do in yoga, doing her puzzle or playing with her toys for 15, 20 minutes. And I always think about she's not that strong because she's, you know, she's a two and a half year old, but she could do that because that's a natural way for humans to sit. And I do think about it a lot like, oh, you know, one day she's going to stop doing it because that's not how we sit for meals. And I know also even you just mentioned going to the bathroom. A lot of people notice if they have constipation issues, they'll use a squatty potty and something that simple and small when they're just aligned correctly makes it a lot easier for their body to literally have bowel movements in a more natural, easy way. So it's it's such a good point. And what are some of the other things that you've brought into your life that you notice have made a difference, whether it has to do with nature or food or movement, any of these different things? Again, as you were saying, these really could be simple things like putting a squatty potty in your bathroom. Like I very much know and love the world we live in today. Like it's great that we have all these modern things, but we should strive to bring in some of those things that we know on a biological level will be better for us. So I'm very into sunlight in the morning and sunlight in general. I think we've just become a population that's terrified of the sun. And I literally see people get into their cars, get into their office, get back in the car, go home. And it's like, 
expose yourself to sunlight. A, this is our best source of vitamin D, which we know is extremely important for tons of things, definitely hormonally, as well as, you know, immunity wise. And also for circadian rhythm, right? Like setting your hormones to secrete at the right times of day, because every cell in our body works on this 24 hour biological clock. So if you could get sunlight in the morning and expose yourself to that trigger of, okay, it's morning time. Now your body knows to start. And then as you go through the day, right in those evening hours, trying to shut off light as much as you can darken your screen. I'll like, if I'm watching TV or something, definitely put it on the darkest mode it could be on. And again, even trying to get outside at night so that your eyes could adjust to darkness. Um, So I, I love doing that. I found that super helpful. Sleep, I find is like if people are coming to me and their body's out of whack before I even talk about nutrition or movement or anything, I'm like, you gotta be sleeping. And I know not every stage of life is going to lend itself to that, but it's really the lowest hanging fruit. If you can get that under control, if you could sleep like seven, eight hours, that's life changing. It's, Um, it's truly life changing. It's funny because we're talking, it happens to be last night. We just finished sleep training my son, who's almost six months. And I know people have whatever controversial things. I I wasn't like 100% set on it, especially when I think about ancestrally. We're supposed to really adhere to the baby's schedule and I'm fully breastfeeding. And I know he likes to just nurse all night. And then I was like, I just realized I haven't slept in over a year because I didn't sleep when I was pregnant and I'm just done. And last night, was the. it's literally the first night I've slept through the night, I think in a year. And I was like, if this was a drug that could be bottled up, I would take it every day. I feel so good. I could be bouncing off the walls. And it's so true. It Sometimes it's those basic things. And of course, I know a lot of people in this space, they're, they're having young kids and there's going to be a time and place where you just, even if you try, I always try to do the best I can, but sometimes they just wake up and that's what it is. But within the things that are that are within your control, like what you're saying. And these are simple things, getting sunlight in the morning, going outside in the evening and just acclimating your eyes to natural light as opposed to the screens all day. It's such a simple thing that makes a big difference. And I think especially now there's so much talk about biohacking and different technologies and all these fancy, intense ways to improve your health. And this is something that's just simple. It's really simple. It's really doable. It's free. And it's something that everybody could be incorporating, even if it's not every day, a bunch of times a week. Yes, 100%. Um, Yeah, and I think just talking ancestrally, like the amount of stress we have today is just out of this world. Like we're, we're see stress in almost every aspect of our lives, right? Like we were not breathing the same air back then as we are today. So these are things I'm going to relate this back to fitness in a second. Um, But when we are exposed to so much stress through like toxins in the environment in our food chain and our food system, our daily lives of just like the feeling of stress from work, traffic jams, whatever it is, it's, we really have to understand that Yes, there are maybe tribes that could run 100 kilometers and and feel fine doing that. But I'm just saying for the most people I see today with the stress level that's already higher, that I want to make a point to say is why it's problematic to be adding extremely stressful workouts on top of that, because we just already are at a set point of a higher stress level than ever before in our history. So if Now, that's why I do workouts that I find the lowest amount that you could do that will really still build muscle and support your body. This is why I was in a CrossFit gym for a while and I saw people working out seven times a week doing like high intensity training and they were just breaking their bodies down and they would come to me and be like, is there something I could be eating differently? And I'm like, you need to scale back your workouts. Like, you are overstressing your body like crazy. And we know that too much cortisol, right? Progesterone is the precursor. It's what builds cortisol. So we know that when we have too much cortisol, we're going to make too low progesterone. We know that when we have too low progesterone, we're going to have lower thyroid, which is again, your metabolism. So you're going to feel tired and exhausted and tanked, and you're not going to be seeing the results you want. 
you're not supporting your body, but you're just constantly beating it down and adding stress upon stress. So I would say to the average person out there, like I know Google searches are telling you hit is the best workout, like just sweat your butt off for 30 minutes and you'll be great. But it's like, no, that's ultimately, I think, going to go against most people's goals. And if you just are consistent and show up for yourself and maybe not feel like you pushed the hardest you possibly could, but just starting to see the gains of the muscle and how you're feeling over weeks of just doing strength training, using weights and taking adequate rest periods, I think you'll feel so much better. Wow. That makes so much sense. And I'll say also as someone who does like to do more of the yoga Pilates, because I feel like life is chaotic enough. Let me have, I really feel like it gives me a lot of peace of mind, but since since my last pregnancy where I struggled with a lot of pelvic floor issues and I was just not able also with my doctor's recommendations to do a lot of exercise starting from the second trimester, I felt really weak afterwards and I wanted to build up strength. And even though I would say most mornings I wake up more inclined to do something like yoga, I'll try to make myself, you know, two, three times a week do strength training. I get such a different kind of high after doing it. There is some maybe you know more about the science behind this, but there's some endorphin rush that happens from lifting weights that I don't get in the same way from the more gentle, slower paced exercises. And it really is, it's really gratifying to have those thoughts about yourself. Like, oh my gosh, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting stronger and seeing the progress, especially with weights. It's such an easy way to measure it. I think there's a lot of unhealthy ways that we try to measure progress when it comes to our health and fitness and weight and all these things. But when you're able to lift heavier weights, I think that's just, it's a very gratifying experience. Yes. A hundred percent. I think a lot of us have been there where we like measure our progress by like the scale or some thing like that. And it's like the mental aspect I see of like understanding that you're resilient and you can push and you can be strong and do all these things is incredible, especially for women that's like my favorite people to work with is just like moms who are like, I'm 30. I'm, you know, of course, like going downhill from here. I'm like, no, you're 30. You could be feeling amazing. You could be feeling super strong and there's, there's no reason not to, but yeah, the mental health aspect of, I think like yoga is great. Even like a short run, it's great. If like it really works for you and it's not overstressing you and it is just more like meditative and feels good for you and your body. Like that's also great. But oh, I did want to say one thing about what you said is a lot of people come to me and I work with a lot of like postpartum prenatal that category of people and just like, oh yeah, my doctor said not to do anything. So like I have to stop training now. So definitely like there are people who really have reasons that they shouldn't be doing something, but for just the person out there who may be listening, definitely dig deeper and ask why even not related to postpartum prenatal, but just people who have like a slight injury or something. I hear a lot of times like, oh, I have to stop training now because of X, Y, and Z. I'm like, why? Like, you know, that just being a human requires so much of your body, right? Like, we need to be moving in our everyday lives. So the gym is a place where you can do that in a way that's probably not going to injure you, right? You're doing it methodically. But if you're just all of a sudden atrophying your muscles and making your daily tasks so much harder, you're going to end up worse off. I just find there is something that you can be doing. And again, I might scale back workouts, but as I said before, a program should be upper body push, pull, a hinge, a squat, a carry. It's very simple things. And if for you, two reps is the most you could take, then that's where we start. But just we're stronger than we think. Thank you for adding that because that's such a good point. And it's something, a lot of thoughts that I had during pregnancy because I had whatever, all these just different pelvic floor issues. But a lot of times I felt like my skeleton and my muscles are not able to handle this growing belly. That's what it felt like. I had a ton of back pain, a ton of hip pain. And now I, I mean, not in the very near future, but I do think about hopefully, God willing, for the next pregnancy, I'm terrified to go into it and not be mobile. I mean, I had one toddler in this pregnancy and I'm like, well, the next time I'll have two. And 
I don't know. I, I was almost bedridden because it was just so hard to walk and picking up my kids was everything was such a challenge. I mean, it's, it's hard. And I, I spoke to my pelvic floor therapist who said, you know, what you do in between the pregnancies is going to make a much bigger difference than coming to pelvic floor therapy every week. Once you're already pregnant, you know, we can try and help make it as easy as possible, but we need muscles and we need strength to go through these really intense metabolic activities. I mean, pregnancy is so much more than that. It's very emotional. It's very physical. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things, but it's a huge, you're carrying a huge thing, a person and a placenta. So we need strength for that too. And then postpartum to rebuild it because a lot, a lot happens there after birth. (laughs) Yes. So uh, again, like between pregnancies, during everything, I think people feel a lot better if they can keep moving. And I think it's a problem that, you know, a lot of doctors, and I know it's also just the last generation, like during my first pregnancy, I like lift a suitcase and everybody's like, you can't do that. Like I just lifted way heavier than this in the gym. Like it's only going to do good things if you're doing it properly for you and growing fetus. So just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to lift. Yeah. Thank you for telling us that. I want to ask you a little bit about going into food because this is something that you've shared a lot of information, especially for people specifically in Israel about really focusing on the quality of the food that you eat and not just focusing on, you know, all these complicated plans of this many grams of that and make sure you're not having too much of this and that, but you focus a lot on quality, especially around animal products and proteins. So Can you tell us a little bit about what we might want to be looking out for when it comes to protein and how to have really good high quality protein? Yes, for sure. Um, As I was saying before, you're, you're, you cannot build muscle if you don't have protein and sleep. If your body's already in a place that it feels tanked, it's not going to be, your body needs to feel safe in order to build because that's extremely metabolically hard for your body, right? It's expensive growing muscles and expensive tasks. So if it doesn't have the building blocks for that, it's certainly not going to be doing that. So first of all, I think the recommended daily allowance of protein is way too low. I think every person needs to be eating a heck of a lot more protein, maybe a hundred grams worth and up. So that really means you have to be very mindful of the protein you're including um, because some protein is much more bioavailable. Your body can use it much easier than other proteins. So I'm a huge fan of animal protein, Um, right? That's like eggs, fish, chicken, red meat. But again, as I was saying, our food system definitely has its issues. So when you're spraying pesticides everywhere, and then you're feeding the animals wheat and corn that has been grown on this pesticides and giving them antibiotics and all these things that is what you at the end of the day are going to end up consuming because we are what we eat and we are what we eat eats. So for me, it's incredibly important to source my meat from a place where I trust that the animal is eating its natural diet because at the end of the day, the health of what I'm eating is going to affect my health. So I've been traveling to different farms in Israel and like I do have the ability to go and see where my food comes from. I understand not everybody's going to go that far, but again, within your budget, finding the best quality that you possibly can. If you're listening from Israel, your meat and chicken and eggs, it has to say organic on it because that's the certification, not just free range because they do use that term a little bit as like a marketing ploy. So it can mean free range around a parking lot, right? It doesn't necessarily mean they're living in their natural environment. It's just that they're not caged and maybe someone who is more invested in the animal's emotional health or well-being, well, that will do it for them. But in terms of nutrition, it's not necessarily going to make such a difference. Yeah. The, the like, she like anything free range, quote unquote, in Israel, it's not really a proper certification. So some of them don't actually even have access to more land. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, or it will be, you know, even in America, they have this, that it's very roundabout. It's like quote unquote free range because they have access to a little more space, but none of the chickens actually know to get outside to that space anyway. So they're really being raised exactly the same. Um, 
I come at this from a place of animal welfare. I really do not want to be eating tortured animals and also from a place of health. So yes, like their living conditions, the amount of sunlight they get, again, this all plays a role in their health, just like it would in ours. If you're a caged person who's not getting any sunlight and proper nourishment, you're also going to be not healthy. So to me, knowing where that meat is coming from and how it's lived its life is important to me on both of those levels. Also just environmentally, the impact of these like pesticides, herbicides, um, the way we farm our land. I want to be taking care of the planet as much as I can. So I think supporting the people who are doing that properly. And I think properly raised meat is one of the best ways to do that because it gives back to the land. Again, a whole different podcast we can talk about. But um, even if your budget doesn't allow for properly raised, the best quality meats, eggs, whatever it is, I still think you need to be eating meat to be the healthiest human you can be because these are the most nutrient-dense foods we have available, definitely the best protein source we have available. And without it, I just, I don't really see a path to optimal health. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll say also to anyone who's listening, I don't know if you have it saved somewhere on your Instagram page, but you've shown before when you go visit the farms, these beautiful farms where the animals are, and I'm not even, I'm not honestly the most concerned about the animals living their best, happiest life, but you show the the goats and the chickens and the cows just roaming around and eating grass and, and they're treated well. And the farmers really care about the animals and you show the baby animals, which was like the <laughs> cutest thing I've ever seen. And it does give you a completely different appreciation for this is where my food comes from. And it connects you back to that natural human relationship with food and the cycle of life. And I think if I remember you, you even bring your kids, right? This is a value that you're bringing into your family to show them this is where the food comes from. And this is how we get high quality food, which I thought was, it was so beautiful to see. I really, I loved seeing that. I don't know if it's saved anywhere. If people can like go back somewhere on your page and look for it. Yes, I definitely have it saved as highlights. Okay. I try to expose my kids to it as much as I can. And yeah, these are I mean, as you said, ancestrally, like we, there wasn't a choice. We were connected to our food because that was just a natural part of life. And I think that step back that we've taken where you just see like a piece of meat wrapped in cellophane, like it really is making it much easier, I think, to have that tough relationship that I see so many people have with food because you're just it's just this like means to an end I feel like now and for me like cooking and creating these meals it really is nourishing your body in such a more nourishing way because because you're part of the process and I think when we just remove ourselves so far back where it's just like pop it in the microwave and eat it it's like forget about the actual nutrient quality of the food, but just like digestion wise, your body is just not in that state of, you know, rest and digest in the same way. I feel as when you're cooking your food, you're one with your food, you sit down, you enjoy it in that way. I just, I think it could help on so many different levels. I really agree. And honestly, this conversation has given me a lot to think about. One thing I also want to just add, because I know sometimes people get a little overwhelmed with, the idea of going all organic and, you know, trying to do everything to the optimal level. But one thing I will say that I don't personally get every single animal product organic and free range just because it is, it's really expensive, but easier places to start are with eggs and dairy products and chicken, because that tends to be, at least here, I find that it is much more affordable and same thing with fitness, like start where you can. And over time, it's something that I have grown to appreciate the value more and more. And devote in more of my budget to that because I do feel like it is worth it for me personally. I'd rather buy, you know, really good quality meat than a new pair of shoes. And that's me personally, but it is something that you don't have to start a hundred percent. You could start with things that are, you know, less expensive and see if it makes a difference in how you feel. Even just going to these farms and supporting them, as you said, is also really important for the environment. So I think a lot of people are going to have a lot to think about from this conversation. And you're such a wealth of knowledge. Tell us a little bit more about how people can work with you. I know you have 
fitness programs online that people can learn more about how to actually do the specific kinds of strength workouts that can help with metabolic health. Okay. Amazing. Um, first of all, so nice speaking to you. You have such a good voice for podcasting. I feel like I'll just have to listen to this all the time. Just relax me. Um, so first of all, training. Yes, I have programs online. We'll put a discount that you can reach out to Lauren for. Um, and these are really programs built with the people in mind that are just needing to get started. It's called kickstart. I have a couple different levels. And again, it's really, you can start this from a place that you've done nothing before. It's about building up, understanding those movement patterns that we spoke about and starting to incorporate this. So you can see that it really is a simple place to start. It's not scary 20 minutes or less. Um, that's in the fitness side of things. I also have wilderness wellness retreats. Oh, oh my gosh. I forgot to ask about the retreats. Tell us about the retreats. And I keep telling myself, I, I saw them when I was pregnant. I'm like, I'm not leaving my bed, but when I'm not pregnant, I want to come on the next one. So tell us about the retreats because they look incredible. They really are. Because as we were talking about, I think health is such a big topic. And for me, just the sense of community and thinking about where we came from in small tribes, like deep connection. I definitely connect with people on Instagram and that's cool and it's amazing, but that face-to-face connection was really important to me. Um, so that's why I started Wilderness Wellness Retreats at Wilderness Wellness Retreat. You can follow and just see when the next retreat is going to be, but those are just outdoor wilderness retreats. I take a small group of women, we bond, we learn about our bodies, we learn about health, um, and make really good real food over a fire. So that's really fun, something I love doing. And, you know, on my Instagram, Naomi Eastman Fitness, I feel like you can find a lot in the highlights regarding the farming and all that. If you're interested in where your food comes from in Israel, that's a passion of mine just to show people so you understand a little bit about what you're consuming and its effects on, you know, your health, the environment's health, the animal's health. This was amazing, Naomi. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.